That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 349. It's titled, Forward and Reverse Mortgages, When to Take Them Out and When to Pay Them Off. A home mortgage is debt secured by a house. I had never heard of the term forward mortgage. We typically just think of a mortgage. I have heard of a reverse mortgage. The difference between a forward mortgage and a reverse mortgage is with a forward home mortgage, you have to make monthly payments of at least interest, but typically interest in principle. Whereas a reverse mortgage is a way to tap into the equity of your house. You can receive a lump sum or a series of monthly payments, but you're not making payments to the bank or the holder of the mortgage until the house is sold or you pass away. We're going to take a look at both types of mortgages in today's episode. The word mortgage is Old French and literally means death pledge, which is kind of an ominous sounding word, but there have been a lot of mortgages taken out over the past year. In the U.S., typically there's about $400 billion to $600 billion new home mortgages originated each quarter. That was from 2007 to 2020. But in 2020 and into 2021, things changed. The last three quarters has seen new mortgage originations, these are forward mortgages, of over a trillion dollars. Over 700 billion of those quarterly mortgages were granted or taken out by individuals with credit scores over 760. So most of the growth has come from households with very good credit. Interestingly, about 400 billion of new mortgage originations were individuals over the age of 50, and about 200 billion were over 60. Individuals approaching retirement or in retirement are still taking out mortgages rather than fund the home purchase from their existing assets. That's one of the things that we'll look at. Should we take out a mortgage or should we just fund it out of cash? Over a decade ago, LaPrell and I paid off our home mortgage. We wanted to feel unencumbered, and it felt great. We didn't have to make a monthly payment anymore. But then as mortgage rates began to fall and hit historical lows in the U.S., we decided that we wanted to take out a mortgage. This was last fall. We originally were going to use it to help fund our purchase of a house in Tucson, but it took so long to get the mortgage. We paid cash for the house, and after five months, got the mortgage and we're using it for the home remodel. We started the process with a mortgage broker that was recommended by our realtor in Phoenix. Unbeknownst to me, the regulations changed, the requirements for income verification change due to the pandemic for self-employed individuals. Those requirements are set by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. 
Fannie Mae is the Federal National Mortgage Association. It was founded in 1938. Freddie Mac is the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, founded in 1970. These are wholly owned entities of the federal government and are there to provide a source of funding for residential mortgages in the U.S. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac guarantee mortgages against default. They buy up those mortgages and they package them into a pool of loans known as mortgage-backed securities. 70% of home mortgages originated in the U.S. are bought by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And if we include the Government National Mortgage Association, or Ginny Mae, and Federal Home Administration Loans, or FHA, the U.S. federal government guarantees 92% of mortgages issued in the U.S. That federal guarantee is one reason why mortgage rates are so low in the U.S. And we discussed Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac securitization and how the U.S. is more socialist than Denmark regarding home mortgages. That was episode 238. These new requirements to get a mortgage, if you're self-employed, was because due to the pandemic, Fannie and Freddie, which are guaranteeing these mortgages, wanted to make sure the borrowers had stable income and that there was a reasonable expectation that it would continue. So they wanted year-to-date profit and loss statements. They wanted three months of bank statements. And that seemed to be, for whatever reason, the challenge this mortgage company had reconciling the monthly bank statements with the P&L statement. I have no idea why. It got extremely frustrating. The last I heard from them was in December, and they were sending the loan package to the credit committee to make a final decision. And I never heard back. At that point, I turned to a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus that I've known for several years, Gavin Walker. He's a mortgage broker, a very, very good one, because he knows what the requirements are. And he was an advocate for me in working with the underwriting team, taking the information, making sure it was accurate, but presenting it in a way that the underwriters could use it. He wasn't simply an order taker, a go-between between the mortgage applicant and the underwriters. He knew what was needed and the loan closed in March. Now, we didn't need a mortgage. We could have just paid cash, which raises the question, if you have the assets, should you pay off your mortgage? If you have equity in your house, should you get a reverse mortgage to help fund your retirement? And where does a home and mortgage fit in your overall asset allocation? Most individuals, when they start out, they don't have enough money to pay for their house, their first home in cash. That was certainly our situation. We bought a home in Dayton, Ohio. I would just got out of graduate school. I was working for AT&T Capital. We sold a car to my parents to help raise the down payment. The house only cost $70,000. It was below market value, really cool bungalow on a tree-lined street. One owner, but that owner had grew up in that house and since they were a teen, smoked every day for 40 years. The house reeked of smoke. The walls were so nicotine-stained that we spent a good six months painting and repainting using kills to try to block all that smoke damage in the house. For most, and for, for us, that first house was a leveraged transaction. We might have put 3 to 5% down. 95% to 97% 
would have been borrowed. Because of that, you pay mortgage insurance in the U.S. to protect the lender against default, as well as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who ended up buying the loan and packaging it into securities. But when you buy a house that way with a low down payment, heavily leveraged, your financial return will depend on whether the home appreciates in value. And even if it's only going up by the rate of inflation, because you put so little down, you can get some equity in your house and see very sizable returns. As individuals get older, their house appreciates, the mortgage gets partially paid down through the regular monthly payments, and they have equity in their house. But they also have taxable assets that could be used to pay down their home mortgage. And the question is, when? Under what circumstances should that be done? I took a look at this closer earlier this year for an episode of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. It's episode 329. I took it out from behind the paywall, so anyone can now listen to that. I discussed a YouTube video by Ben Felix, who is a financial advisor in Canada with PWL Capital. Felix suggested that paying off a mortgage could reduce an investor's overall risk, even if they funded that mortgage out of bonds and continued to have a significant allocation to stocks. Now, I went through a fairly complicated example in that episode. I threw around a lot of numbers. I'm going to try to simplify it in this episode. And I was prompted to cover this again because another Plus member mentioned that he hadn't been paying down his mortgage, which has an interest rate of 3.75%, because he felt the interest rate was low enough that he could save and invest elsewhere. But then he kind of looked at the numbers and has given it some thought and came out with this fairly provocative statement that quite a few people should be 100% in stocks until their mortgage is paid off. And that seems kind of alarming. But if you actually go through the numbers, it makes sense. There's three principles that I want to cover. One, if you take money from your investments to pay down your mortgage, your net worth doesn't change. You'll just have more equity in your house, but a smaller investment portfolio. The second principle is if the source of funds to pay down that mortgage comes from cash or bonds and you don't sell stocks, then your overall portfolio risk is the same. And that seems a little non-intuitive, so let's go through an example. Let's say you have a $1 million house. It's appraised at $1 million, a $500,000 mortgage, so you have $500,000 in equity. You also have a million-dollar investment portfolio. That's half in stocks and half in bonds. Your total net worth would be $1.5 million, $1 million of investments, and a half million dollars in home equity. If you take that $500,000 that's invested in bonds and pay off the mortgage, now you'll have a million dollars in home equity and $500,000 in your investment portfolio, all in stocks. Your net worth is still $1.5 million. But here's the thing. Because stocks are much riskier than bonds, if stocks sold off 60%, huge loss, the loss to the investor would be $300,000 on the investment portfolio. Under either circumstance, if we assume the bonds didn't fall at the same time as the stocks, when there was a million-dollar investment portfolio, then the loss would have been $300,000 if stocks fell 60%. 
That's with the investor having 50% in stocks, 50% in bonds. But if those bonds are used to pay off that mortgage, then the portfolio is still a half million dollars. It's 100% in stock, and the potential loss is still $300,000. If you take money to pay down your mortgage from cash or fixed income, then your overall portfolio risk is the same. If you take money from cash and bonds to pay off the mortgage and then rebalance and take money out of stocks and put it in bonds, then your overall risk is actually less than it was before. Now, here's where it gets a little more complicated. This is the third principle. If the after-tax expected returns on bonds, cash, or other investments is less than the after-tax interest rate on the mortgage, then your overall investment earnings after deducting the mortgage interest expense will go up if you pay off part or all of that mortgage with those lower-yielding investments assuming you keep the same amount in stocks as before. The idea is, and this is what this plus member was saying, that as long as the investment that you're selling has a lower return, a lower expected return than the interest rate on the mortgage, then it's better to pay off the mortgage funded out of those investments. Now, in many countries, particularly in the U.S., mortgage interest is tax deductible. So we have to multiply that mortgage interest rate by one minus the marginal tax rate to tax affect the mortgage so that it will lower the mortgage interest rate because of that tax deduction. But that can be compared to the yield on cash or bonds or other investments. Let's go through an example. A million dollar investment portfolio, 50% in stocks that have an expected return of 5%, and 50% in bonds and cash that are earning 1%. So the overall expected portfolio return of a 50-50 portfolio is 3% per year. It's a million-dollar portfolio, so investment earnings, the expected investment earnings is $30,000 per year. 3% times the million-dollar portfolio is $30,000. Let's assume that the mortgage interest after the tax deduction is 3%. We have a $500,000 mortgage, so the annual interest amount is 3% times the $500,000 or $15,000. So the net earnings after interest expense would be the $30,000 from the portfolio minus the $15,000 interest expense or $15,000 of net earnings. If we take half that investment portfolio, the cash and bonds, pay off the mortgage, then we won't have any interest expense anymore. Now we just have a stock portfolio worth $500,000. Again, if the expected return of those stocks is 5%, then the annual expected investment earnings is 500,000 times 5% or $25,000 per year, which is higher than what than the $15,000 that we were earning after backing out the interest expense. That reinforces the point. If The yield on the investments, the expected return is less than the after-tax interest rates. We can earn more overall by paying down the mortgage. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. 
So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david. netsuite.com david. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The interest rate was the same, then that would be break even. But if you can earn more than the after-tax interest rate on the mortgage, then it's better to not pay off the mortgage. When I look at my investment portfolio, the vast majority of my taxable investments earn more than the after-tax mortgage interest rate. And it isn't just stocks. I have some closed-end bond funds that yield more than the interest rate on my mortgage. Some energy infrastructure and utility investments, preferred stocks are yielding more. Now, we recently sold our farm, and so I have more cash, and that's not yielding more than the interest rate on my mortgage, but much of that cash will be used for this remodel. That's the calculation. For some, this could be more challenging because of the emotion of having reduced the investment portfolio and having more in stocks. Just feels more risky, even though the worst case loss is about the same. The other challenge is now you have a lot of capital in your house and maybe you want to access that as opportunities arise. It also kind of mixes different types of assets. And this is from a fascinating paper from 2006 by Ashvin Chabra, where he introduces a comprehensive wealth allocation framework. He also wrote about it in his book, The Aspirational Investor. He outlines three dimensions of risk. The first is personal risk, where we're worried about not jeopardizing our basic standard of living, and that we have assets, protective assets, to make sure that our standard of living isn't impacted. That includes cash, our home, along with the mortgage. It could include annuities, insurance, our human capital, our ability to earn money. Those are personal risk assets. And then we have market risk, 
which are assets that we have to maintain our lifestyle, to keep pace with inflation. That includes stocks, bonds, and other publicly traded assets, our traditional investment portfolio. The third bucket is aspirational risk. These are assets, often much more risky, used to take us to a different lifestyle, much more wealth, where if it doesn't play out, it's okay. We've maintained our lifestyle. But if they do, we could become wealthy. And this includes private investments. It could be private real estate investments. It could be a business. It could be more concentrated positions. It could be cryptocurrency. When LaPrell and I bought our first house, that was a protective assets. And we've often used houses as protective assets. We've also invested to maintain our lifestyle in stocks and bonds. But in 2005, my business partners and I took out a significant level of debt to purchase back our investment advisory firm because we had sold it in the early 2000s. That was an aspirational bet, aspirational risk, and it worked out. The business grew and our wealth grew because of the leverage. And after five or six years, it grew so much, I was ready to cash in and take that aspirational risk off the table and move it over to the market and personal risk bucket. It gets a little convoluted then as we start paying off our home mortgage with market risk assets, but the numbers work. Paying off your mortgage with lower yielding investments that are lower than the after-tax interest cost on the mortgage is additive financially. You will earn more money doing that. But there are these other considerations. Now, what if you have a great deal of home equity, you're entering retirement, and you want to tap that equity? For that, there are reverse mortgages. Wade Faw wrote a really interesting paper titled Incorporating Home Equity into Retirement Income Strategies. He pointed out that a reverse mortgage can fit into the retirement income puzzle as a buffer asset that could be tapped during market downturns for stocks, for example, or as a way to mitigate sequence of return risk. If the early years of retirement, the market is down sharply, that home equity could be tapped in a reverse mortgage, buying time for the stock market to recover. In his paper, he looked at different ways to go about this and found the strategy that seemed to work best based on the simulations that he did was to open up a reverse mortgage line of credit at the start of retirement, but only tap it as a last resort. But by opening it up early, the equity grows so the line of credit could grow, but then you could tap it later in retirement if you needed it. In the U.S., the primary reverse mortgage program is sponsored by the federal government that guarantees the mortgage, the FHA. You have to be at least 62 years of age or older, own the property outright, or it's least significantly paid down. They want to make sure you have sufficient income to maintain the property and ongoing charges like taxes, insurance, and HOA fees. So you have to qualify for a reverse mortgage just like you do for a forward mortgage. There's different ways to do it. You can have a flexible line of credit and just draw it down when you need. 
You could have a term where over each month you get a certain amount until the equity is mostly used up. Or it could just be for a fixed period of time. All those options are adjustable rate reverse mortgages. You can also get a fixed rate reverse mortgage. And in that case, you just take it as one lump sum when you open up the reverse mortgage. Again, with a reverse mortgage, you don't have to make payments. It's just interest accrues over time and it eats into your equity. Interest rates right now for reverse mortgages, it's about 3.1% for fixed. For the adjustable, there's a base index rate, which is usually close to the interest rate on 10-year treasuries, plus a margin that can range from 1.5% to 2.5%. Right now, the adjustable rate reverse mortgage, assuming a 1.5% margin, is about 2.87%. There's a limit to how much that can be borrowed with a reverse mortgage. And right now, with the FHA program, that's called the Home Equity Conversion Mortgage, HECM, is 800 and $22,000. There are also private reverse mortgage programs to close to $4 million. The interest rates are much higher. With the reverse mortgage, the distributions that you take are not taxable because it's debt. And it's very similar to how the wealthy, this ultra-wealthy, will cover living expenses. They will borrow money against existing assets. Because they're taking out debt, that's not taxable income. A reverse mortgage works in the same way. The interest on the reverse mortgage isn't deductible for taxes until you actually pay it off. But if one paid off part of the reverse mortgage, that interest would be tax deductible. You can repay the balance anytime without penalty, but it doesn't have to be paid until the home is sold or until the homeowners pass away. And at that point, the heirs have about 12 months to repay the loan balance or give the keys to the administrator and they'll sell the house. Reverse mortgages get kind of a bad rap because the programs have changed a lot. The fees can be high, but we've seen the interest rates aren't that different than a forward mortgage. Where there are some additional fees is the mortgage insurance premiums. And the mortgage insurance is paid to the FHA and used to protect the borrower if the company that issued the reverse mortgage is not able to meet its obligations to produce funds that draw on the equity. And it's also used to protect the lender in case the home is sold at a price that it's not sufficient to pay back the reverse mortgage. That mortgage insurance premium is a 2% fee up front. 2% of the home's appraised value or that maximum reverse mortgage amount of $822,000. In addition, there's an additional 0.5% per year paid monthly. So essentially a half percentage point is added to the interest rate to cover the mortgage insurance premium after having paid the 2% up front. In addition, the reverse mortgage lender can charge an origination fee the greater of $2,500 or 2% of the first $200,000 of the home's value and 1% above that. The maximum origination fee is $6,000. So it can be between $2,500 and $6,000 origination fee. 
In addition, there's the other closing cost you see whenever you take out a mortgage, appraisal, the title search, title insurance, surveys, recording fees, all those things are there. And then there's a service fee for the reverse mortgage, which can be upwards of $35 per month if it's an adjustable rate mortgage. All that together, there's some expenses there. But reverse mortgages are not this evil thing, even though mortgage means death pledge. They can be a tool to be used during retirement because that house, that home, is one of the assets that retirees have. And this could be useful in addition to other tools we've talked about, the investment portfolio and immediate annuity. But don't just write off reverse mortgages as something that are not useful and too expensive. We at least need to run through the numbers and it can make some sense. Now, there's also the potential for fraud. So make sure you understand the numbers. Go to a legitimate lender. The bottom line is, Mortgages are useful. They facilitate purchasing a house and tapping into the equity of that house as we get older. There's times when it makes sense to pay off the mortgage early if the yield on other investments is too low. And there's times to use mortgage as leverage when you're a new home buyer or potentially to continue that leverage if there are other opportunities as your investment portfolio grows and you build up equity and you build up taxable assets. Hopefully you found this episode helpful in understanding the potential uses of mortgages, both forward mortgages and reverse mortgages. That then is episode 349. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you would like to learn more about investing, becoming a better investor, there's two ways I can help with that. First, consider signing up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider's Guide. It's where I share about that week's episode. I share the notes and research materials that I use to prepare it and share an essay on money, investing, and the economy to help you become a better investor. When you sign up for The Insider's Guide, you'll get my free guide, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing. This is a summary of the key points from my book by the same name. The second way I can help is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. Plus membership gives you essential portfolio tools, training, and a community to invest with confidence and achieve your financial goals. There's over 1,000 Money for the Rest of Us Plus members. They continue as members because they get access to a proven investment approach and expert portfolio insights delivered in a clear and concise style they can understand. Here's some of what you get with Plus Membership. Global multi-asset class portfolio examples. A monthly investment conditions and strategy report to help you keep your emotions in check. An exclusive member-only podcast called Money for the Rest of Us Plus, as well as an ad-free version of the regular podcast. And with both of those podcasts, you get written transcripts. Plus Membership includes best-in-class video lessons, portfolio-building tools and templates, as well as access to my portfolio holdings and trades. You'll be able to interact with other members in the member forum and ultimately get the tools and the community you need to feel confident in your investing. Plus, membership is a voice of calm and reason amidst the chaos. We'd love to have you as a member. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. 
Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.